bless you. Thank you. That's Jack T T T H X. <laughs> you remember that, like when they used to have that for all the VHS tapes. This tape is in THX sound. Yeah, I remember like, it if, for the, the Star Wars re-releases back in the 90s. Oh, yeah. But, like, not even that, but they also did it for other movies, too. Yeah. And it's like, could you really tell any difference? From, no. No. It's like, yes, yes, I put THX sound on this VHS tape. It's Quiet, Grandma. <laughs> well, that's George Lucas for you. And we're back with the Wages of Cinema. I was recording. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, everybody, this I'm, is Andrew. I'm Jack, and uh, we welcome you back to Wages of Cinema. Um, I just said that, but... Uh, That's a fact. Yes, that is a fact. Um, so, yeah, Mad Max is uh, still awesome. It is still very awesome. I saw it a second time uh, this Memorial Day weekend. And, I've been uh, listening to the soundtrack over and over again. Really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, is, it is heart-pounding, isn't it? Yeah. It's by a guy who... I forget his actual name, but in the credits of the movie, he's called Junkie XL. Yeah. Uh, I I remember in the review I said it was kind of a classical score, but that's like... I really meant to say it's like classically inspired, because there are some very classical-sounding ones, when, when there's like real emotion and things like there, that. There is but some it's all, classical But a lot stuff. of it... Yeah. But, a but lot it's of also it is, rock-infused. Right, and it's a lot of... Uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I heard people shouting in the background. An interesting thing, if you look at the the credits for the first two Mad Max movies, uh, the music is credited to Brian May of Queen, right? No, a different Brian May. A different Brian May? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like I thought that too, and I like wait, Brian May did the soundtrack for this? I didn't know he's like a he's like Johnny Greenwood. He can do classical music, so. I looked him up, and uh, no, it's a different Brian May. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. Uh, but then I guess Brian May would have to save his talents for Highlander. <laughs> yeah, well, Freddie Mercury, too, the whole group. But Mad Max is still awesome. I, it's even better the second time you see it, of course. Uh, I think it has, you know, some movies, you know, they have the kind of diminishing returns when you see them on repeat. This movie... Like, there was more detail that I did notice this time. I actually had more sympathy, or just a little more understanding, I think, for the Nicholas Holt character. Yeah. Uh, Nux. Um, because the first time I saw the movie, it wasn't a big problem, but I kind of thought, huh, he kind of... Spoilers. Good? Yes. yes. Alright, good. <laughs> I made sure to say that, because I know how you feel about that. Um, I felt like he kind of flipped a little too quickly. Like, he's all about, like, ooh, ooh, I, I live, I die, I live again. Uh, and, you know, like, he's like, I'm uh, I'm all, I all want to be Immortan Joe's, you know, big guy. I want to be, like, live up to his expectations and go Valhalla and all that crap. Yeah, but he basically, he has the, you know, the emotional complexity of an adolescent. He no, and as like soon that. as he sees, like, the, the one girl get, like, you know, pulverized, uh, basically. Like, she gets knocked off the truck and he kind of, like, Oh, like yeah. as soon as that happened, he's like, "Oh, what have I done?" And and, and you know, he messes up, and so I you think know, it's a lot to take in for a guy like that. Yeah, I think the problem, like what I thought about more though, watching it this time, it's not like they. I don't know if they set it up as well, but like I feel like they. He's a guy who has grown up in this entire life. He's been bred to think like, "Ooh, if you." follow my orders you will gain immortality you'll might be an immortan so to right. speak um but you know but then, he's being well, but that, and you know he's oh it's 
and you know it's okay when you think about you know yourself and you know sacrificing yourself and you yeah. know jumping off of a trailer to blow up another car but mm-hmm. you know when you see other people really <laughs> suffering and when you when you haven't really thought about that then it's no, really when something you're all, else it's, yeah. it's really a shock yeah when all you think about is just being a badass you know it's one thing but then actually getting a taste of uh, empathy you know, that actually and he fails to to do what he sets out to do. I mean, yeah, he he's 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 going to jump onto the rig, but he just fails spectacularly. It's a huge blow to his ego. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, uh, and, but then he has a really cool redemption arc because I mean, he, you know, j- just by uh, knowing how, you know, he's the one who suggests like let's use the tree to to pull out the rig, right? Um, and that's a really cool so that's a really cool scene because there's actually a he lot spits of gasoline there. into the. Uh, the what the hell do you call it? We don't know cars, but you know. Oh, you mean the scene in the sandstorm? No, no, I mean, like when they're oh, going towards oh, the, the camp, chase. Yeah, yeah, the final right. chase. Yeah, yeah, he's well. That's yeah, it's a thing. Like, there's also another guy the intake doing that valves too. or whatever yeah, they are. Yeah, they're spitting extra gas into the the thingy on the hood. Yeah, which is actually a real thing. We're, by the way, we're movie critics. No. <laughs> Well, I, we're movie critics. We don't really know cars, but I can tell you that that is a real thing. Spitting gasoline into the things. Well, well, no, I don't even mean that. But like these cars that we see, uh, yeah, I've seen them before. I just don't know what the hell they're called. <laughs> V8 interceptors, maybe. I don't know. Tie fighters. Okay. <laughs> so why don't we move on? Mad yeah, Max is we'll still awesome. Ma- if you haven't yeah. seen it yet, it's one of the best action movies I've ever seen. Yeah, Jack, I think I you agree, agree with, with that. Me. I would agree. It's in. It could easily be in the top ten of like by at least the past thirty years, and we'll come back to talk a little bit about one of the main characters in the movie a little bit later in the show. Um, a little tease for the that's audience. That's a that's a teaser there. Yes, ah, it is. See what we did. Ding. All right, but first we have our two triple M, the two um, minute movie mile. That's right. Uh, we're gonna talk about movies we've watched, and, and we as got usual, two each. and as usual, Jack goes first because he saw more movies than I did. I I kind of did. I had a little bit more. You time. definitely did. Jeez. All right. So, uh, without further ado, let's get started. You ready? Um, I think I'm ready. Let me just write down a name so I don't forget this actress's this actor's name. Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just need. I just need to look up one actress because I'd like to name her specifically, and I don't want to mess this up that badly. Uh, it was a pretty good. Okay. It was a pretty good two weeks for movies for me. I saw some real gems uh, since our last podcast, I saw, and I can't wait to talk to you about. Yeah, them. I saw a good range of uh, of new movies and classics as well. So let's get started. I'm ready to go. All right, Jack, ready? Three, two, one, go. <clears throat> First up, Tomorrowland. Okay, the, the new film. George Clooney. Starring George Clooney. Um, what this movie is about now, is this based on a ride? Yeah, tomorrow. well, Tomorrowland is a section of Disney World. Okay, because, I mean, I haven't been to because Disney World in so Disney long. Disney World seems, Disney seems to be casting about its own theme park for ideas. The Pirates of the Caribbean, the Haunted Mansion, now Tomorrowland. Yeah, see, for uh, me, Tomorrowland Kind of strange. Is, the one thing about Tomorrowland... I can't wait till the Hall say... of Presidents movie. <laughs> no, wait, that was Lee Daniels, the butler. All right, but to get in this movie, um, what happens is George Clooney, um, well, he's a little kid at the start of the movie. He goes to the 1964 George World's Clooney Fair. was never a little kid. In this movie, he is. And he's created... Now, here's a callback to the Rocketeer. He creates a jetpack. Nice. Um, 
And it kind of sparks, you know, he sort of, Hugh Laurie is there. He's like one of the main guys judging inventions. And he sort of sees his jetpack and he's like, oh my god, this is for real. Um, cut ahead to, now we also see a, a crazy car, sort of future world that the little kid goes into. And he's like, what the hell is this? Cut ahead to present day. It's Britt Robert, Brit Robertson's this girl who, uh, she gets arrested for some reason. I don't want to go into the plot too much. She finds a pin. When she touches the pin, she gets transported immediately to this other world. She wonders what the hell this is. Then we get a uh, an AI uh, played by Raffi Cassidy, and George Clooney is now like a former boy genius who lives in a fortress of solitude. Huh. And all this leads up to basically this future world that is in trouble and peril. Um, there's a lot of mystery and intrigue to this movie. It was co-written by Damon Lindelof. Uh, luckily, the third act is better than other third act movies he's written, like Prometheus. Um, uh. Yes, but this is better because Brad Bird made it. And damn it, I ran out of time. Time. Well, can I just say I like the movie? Okay, fine. All right, now it's my turn. Wow, I I should have had more time to talk about that. But all right, go see it. All right, let's start you in three, two, one. Okay, uh, I lost watched that. I watched Lost Highway again. Funny secrets I didn't have a good impression of Lost Highway. I thought it was one of David Lynch's lesser films, uh, and you know, kind of his. Well, that's test. the reputation. Yeah, kind of his test like, for Mulholland Drive. Like which the is... poster has, like David Lynch put on the poster two thumbs down from Siskel <laughs> Ebert to yeah. advertise the movie. It's like he, it's like he had to get to Mulholland Drive to really like hit his stride. But but uh, I'm glad I saw this again because uh, it's a little bit more nuanced than I remember it being. Mm. It is a slow paced movie. It takes 40 minutes for the plot to get going. Yeah, I mean you're basically building up a lot of psychology with right. uh, Bill Pullman and Patricia Arquette, and also the the Mystery Man played by Robert Blake. Yeah, who's one of the creepiest guys in 90s movies. Yeah, I know, and. Uh, Eventually, that would bear out in his real life, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I still, uh, I, I understand David Lynch a little better in terms of style. Like I was checking off the, li- I was writing down things of, you know, what is David Lynch like, and what, you know, is he animal, like, mineral, or vegetable? Yeah, like the point of view shots going through a hallway, the sort of fades to black, the yeah. the 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 flaring lights. The movie has a lot of his signatures. Yeah. And you can check them all off one one by one. So I'm thinking maybe we should try a parody of David Lynch someday. But uh the story is a little more nuanced than I thought. I uh it's not as good as Mulholland Drive, but no, it's still not. uh it's... but it's still got a lot of uh a lot of good stuff in it. The way the two narratives blend had me a lot more intrigued. Uh it's a slow-paced movie, but it's not dull. No, it's not. You, there's a lot to take it. Well, Robert Loggia, yeah, Robert Loggia makes it, makes it certainly not dull. Now, granted, you could argue that he is a a like kind of pale imitation of Frank from Blue Velvet. Yeah, but he's crazy, and it's, when he has his big freak out, he uh, it's really funny. So uh, you know, it's a lot of uh, it's really good. Time. All right. Time. So. Yes. Your turn, Jack, in right. three, two, one, go. Far from the Madding crowd. Okay. Um, What's this about? Okay. Uh, set yourself in late, mid to late 19th century England. This is from a, no- a novel by Thomas Hardy. Uh, a little while back, I talked about the movie Tess by Polanski. Right. This comes from the same author, Thomas Hardy. Not to be confused with Tom Hardy. Um, oh, don't worry, I wasn't. No, good. Um... In this story, Carrie Mulligan is this woman. She starts out as a farmer, but she 
somehow I, I forget how, but she gets an inheritance and gets like kind of her own farm. And so suddenly, hey, a woman is running things. A woman is in the marketplace selling grain? Scandal. Exactly. Um, and there are two men vying, kind of vying for her attention. One is this other shepherd, this farmhand. Uh, I forget his name. And then there's this other more aristocratic guy played by Michael Sheen. Um, and he, Michael Sheen's really good in this. Uh, for a little time, he pops out. Like, Michael Sheen's a guy who, I want to give you everything. I want to set your life perfect. I, I want to marry you. I want to do this. And she's kind of like, no, I don't want to get married. Then then there's this soldier character who's this guy played by Tom Sturridge. And this guy shows up. Um, early in the movie, he's supposed to get married to Juno Temple. That doesn't happen. And then there's love there somehow. So, uh, good or bad? Uh, it's disappointing. There's a lot of potential here. Carrie Mulgan's really good. Um, this character of Tom Sturridge, the the soldier character, there's not enough development. There feels like there's more movie here. It should have been maybe a miniseries. Uh, it feels like there's a lot of character development cut out because immediately you're let, like, when you look at the substance of this movie, obviously it's a much better film than what I'm about to say. But when you look at the substance, there's not that much different from Twilight. That's what's <laughs> disappointing about it. So it's a shame. Time. That's a shame. Ain't that a shame? Ain't that a shame? <laughs> Alright, I'm next. Alright, let me set you up. Alright. Um. Oh yeah, where am I? Go! <laughs> uh, I saw Mulholland Drive again. And Yay! I'm super glad that I saw Mulholland Drive again. Because yeah, aren't you? I've seen a lot of analysis of Mulholland Drive theories as to what the story is actually about. And I was drawing on my you know, thoughts about it, you know, mm -hmm. I, I always thought that it was sort of like two parallel worlds, right. like two, two universes that was like, here's version a and here's version B. But, uh, it's never anything that specific again. No, it, I, well, to me, like I said, when I, when we talked about it, you know, in the very first podcast, like the first time, two times I saw the movie, I saw it a, some, a certain way. Then the third time, how I saw it flipped. Yeah. And, uh, it's, and it's always great, like... The movie plays a lot with the artificiality of movies. Yeah, and but, like, the first half is really engrossing. I mean, yeah, it was originally it, it was originally developed, I believe, as a pilot. Yes, it was. For another TV series, kind of like Twin Peaks. And I was thinking, you know, this... I mean, this could have been another really great TV series, and you can't, like, go ahead... Like, it's easy to say that, but, uh, you know, there are so many plot threads in here that you, you just fall And, like, so many characters, you, you can't help but feel that this was really supposed to be a television series. Well, yeah, like, Robert Forster pops up, like, near the beginning of the movie, and he's actually in, like, the, the credits on the poster. And it's like, wait, why you just show up here? I feel like you're going to pop up again. But maybe it's just... That's part of the dream of movies. Robert yeah. Forster pops up. <laughs> and I just want to talk about the Winky scene really fast. Oh, yeah. I, I would say best scene, like, next to the, the Club Silencio, probably the best scene in the movie. And it has almost nothing to do with the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, but... It's like, only, like, thematically linked to everything else. And there, none of the other characters really... Inter from but, that but scene I feel like if you lost that, really part but, of the but world. if you lost that scene then you'd also lose the mood which is very important for the story. And I'm not saying you should get rid of it but I'm saying one of the best scenes 
and uh, you know has nothing to do with the film. I'm so glad I saw this movie again. Uh, I can't save the give I'm, justice right now. All I'm right. so glad you saw it too. Like you know, because it's one of my favorite movies, and I could go on on about it. I should watch it again. It's been a while for me. Yeah. Um, stop. Uh, stop slouching. Yeah, but it speaks a lot to the power of that movie that I've only seen a handful of times, and yet. You remember things very vividly from that movie and from David Lynch films in general. Right, and then when you see them again, you, you fill in the blanks a little bit more with uh, what yes. else there is. Yes. I'm just waving to my wife because she just walked into the room. And uh, good morning. Yes. Hey, get back to work. <laughs> Sorry, we are recording. Um, All right. All right, hold on a second. Um, All right, so you're up next, Jack. Yes, um, I am up next. All right, um, all right, I can go. All right, ready, go. Now this is another movie uh, from the same director as Far from the Madding Crowd. Uh, it's from Thomas Vinterberg. Um, this movie is called The Hunt. I saw this on Netflix. I've been meaning to watch this movie for a while. What this is about, it's set in Denmark, or maybe Sweden, one of those countries. Um, this guy, played by Madge Mikkelsen. I right, know I know him. Actor. He's a Lichif in the Casino Royale. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, in this movie, he's a lot, he's a much better, he's a good guy. He he works at a kindergarten, works with kids. Um, there's this, there's this, no, no, well, here's what the movie's about. There's this little girl that he's very friendly with. He's like best friend. It's like his best friend's daughter. And somehow she gets exposed, I would say, to pornography, very briefly. All right. And it kind of messes with her head. And she makes a claim against this guy, Mads Mikkelsen's character, that, you know, she saw, like, his penis. But it's huh. misinterpreted that way by another teacher. And, and there's, like, this kindergarten school. So... Mads Mikkelsen this, is is accused this of sounds being miserable. a pedophile. Uh, it's a very tragic movie. It's a hard watch. It's because, and it's the thing is, the movie's presented very realistically. It's not gussied up with any melodrama. Uh, this guy Thomas Vinterberg, he came from the Dogma '95 school, and if you know anything about that, that was more about like we challenge you to make a movie without any artificiality, all handheld cameras, this and that. This movie isn't a Dogma 95 movie, but it has that similar framework. Right. Mads Mikkelsen is really, really good in the movie. He's very sympathetic. Like, there are scenes where there's just a lot of attention paid to character. Now, I say it's a great movie. I'm not sure if I could watch it again easily very soon. No, it doesn't sound Because it's fun. a hard watch to watch a movie about a guy who's accused of child molesting. You know, it's, it's a tough watch, time. but it's worth watching at the same time, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, hey, I'm waiting for my wife to go by. Alright. Sorry. Alright, I'm next. Yes, you are next. No one expects the Spanish Inquisition. Focus, Jack. Sorry. It's, <laughs> it's, it just popped in my Come head. on, we'll get through this. Alright, three, two, one. Alright, I saw Kuro Neko, or Black Cat. I've seen this movie. Yeah, uh, it's directed by Kaneido Shindo. Uh, yes. It's a Japanese sort of horror story slash folk tale about yeah. two women who are killed by, uh, raped and killed by samurai and eventually become ghosts. It's a revenge that, movie, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, in a way, yes. Uh, these two, uh, these women, they become spirits who, mm -hmm. who, uh, drink the blood of samurai as revenge for their, uh, murder. Yeah. And, but the problem is, uh, one is the mother of and one is the wife of this guy who yeah. went off to war and he comes mm -hmm. back and he's a samurai. Mm -hmm. So 
by their logic, they have to kill him. But yeah. they can't because, you know, it's his wife and his mother. And he and he and he's tasked to get rid of these rid of the ghosts and uh tragedy ensues from what i remember about this movie now the way that you're describing it to the audience they might think oh my god this sounds like a really badass violent movie it's a lot moodier than that yeah like it's a lot more i don't know if it's slow pace is the word but it was you know made in the early 60s in black and white so it almost has more of a feel of you know like a kind of a slow burn ghost it's not so much of a horror movie as it is kind of a ghost story yeah more of a ghost story and the Um, ghost parts are done really well when you see the spirits like when you see these women as spirits for the first time they're dressed in these white sort of gauzy clothes and they do these slow motion flips through the air yeah yeah uh it's uh it has a really good mood like hard blacks and whites in the film yeah exactly and uh, just a really good period piece as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good shots of cats. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember just some good close-ups of cats in that movie. Yeah, like there are a whole series of these kind of ghost stories. The same director made another movie called Oni Baba, which is worth checking out. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, and time. Sorry. Oh wow! <laughs> Sorry, I should have given you the countdown, but uh, I was looking something up. Um. All right, Jack, ready? Go. I'm going to go back to classic era for a moment. Kind Hearts and Coronets. This is with Alec Guinness playing like ten parts, right? <laughs> yes, well, yeah, what this movie's about... Suck it, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> suck it. Let's give more shit to Eddie Murphy. But really, this movie takes place in, I guess, the early 20th century, sort of. It's not, And the thing is, Alec Guinness, he plays eight parts, but he's not technically the main character. No. He's this guy, Dennis Price plays Louie, and he's this uh, guy who recounts from his jail cell uh, his life story in print. Um, That's not a spoiler, because that's the start of the movie. And what his life story is, is that he's the son, like, his mother was a kind of heir, or one of the heiresses to this uh, dukedom, like, or this royal family called the Duscoin in England. Um, But the problem is she married an Italian opera singer, so she was kind of cast out, and they sort of raised this guy, this boy from you know kind of in poverty. Right. Um, You know he and he's really pissed off that like his mother got cast aside because she married somebody of not nobility. So his plan is I'm gonna bump off every single member of the family (laughs) until I get eligible for the dukedom. And basically, Al Guinness plays every other member of the Discoin family, including a woman. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've seen anything about this movie, but this is a classic uh, British satire. It's very droll. There's a lot of moments where, like, it's very dark, very black comedy. Uh, you know, a lot of it, again, has to do with murder. Had a little bit reminded me of Charlie Chaplin's film, Monsieur Verdu. But it's very, again, very English. There's actually some good stuff, too, involving, like, two women in this guy's life. And um, it's very, it's kind of a raucous satire, is another word for it. Um, You know, it aims aims more than it could have. Okay. Yeah. Um, And it also comes from Robert Hammer, but not to be confused with Hammer Films. I just had to point that out. For it's worth reason. mentioning, Jack. Yes, I think so. Alright, I'm ready to go again. I'm just opening up my phone in three, two, 
one. All right, I watched an animated film called Fantastic Planet. Have you seen this? I have. It, this is one of those movies that I watched years ago, really late at night. Um, oh, that's, maybe with I don't know if that's the right time to see this movie. Really? Uh, it's directed I, by Rene Leloup. And it's a he, French movie. Right. And it's a, a French animated movie. Uh, humanity is basically... Has been... Uh, is basically the mice on the on this planet, and there's a giant race of blue people which yeah. kind of treat them as pests and as pets, and it's all about this. You could say they're blue meanies. No, I couldn't. <laughs> uh, I'm and sorry. it's about and it focuses on this one human boy named Ter who gets uh, adopted as a pet. Yeah. Uh, the the giant people they call the uh, the humans Om, and there's this whole story about. Uh, you know, trying to find freedom and getting treated res with respect. But um, the, the story kind of takes a backseat to the visuals. It's a very simple story, kind of like Mad Max, that complements the visuals. Yeah. Uh, and the visuals are, they remind me of a lot of Terry Gilliam. Yeah, they like have the, this the, sort the of, movements they have are this, cut out. Yeah. They're a little jerky. Um, some of the movements of the animation. Some right. of it's just so greatly so, Some of it's very low-tech, and sometimes it's kind of crude, where they just pan over a drawing of people. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's where it's at weakest. But it's just filled with so much imagination and so much artistic vision that you can't help but love it. Yeah, uh, this is, like, uh, I... You know what's interesting with this movie? If you look really closely in The Matrix... There's a scene where character like these kids are like watching TV in the Oracle's apartment, and they're watching Fantastic Planet. No, they aren't. They're watching Night of the Lepus. No, really? Yes. Uh, oh, but this... I, I, I'm thinking of something else then. My bad. Right. Uh, but there's so many crazy things. Like remember the duel with the animals? Yes. <laughs> there's a lot of weird crap in this movie. Yeah. And the Time... thing. Ah. Uh, see. So much. Two to minutes. Two minutes. That was your idea. Well, that's life. <laughs> All right, Jack. Yeah, it's turn. one of the trippiest things you'll ever. Two see. minutes, go. Um, uh, clouds of Sils Maria. Um, uh, all right. It doesn't sound at all strange, but this is an kind of an art film. Uh, stars Juliette Binoche and Kristen Stewart. Okay. Yeah, what this movie is about. Juliette Binoche is a. a aging actress. Well, not really. I shouldn't say aging. Are there She's... any other kind of actresses in films? That's a good point. Um, well, she's in like her early forties, and she's still, ah, she's ancient. I know. Well, she's still beautiful. But what happens in this movie is that her character previously did this play when she was really young, um, and it kind of started her career in a big way. But like, there are like basically, it's a play where there are two roles. There's like a younger woman who's like twenty, and then an older woman who's like in her forties. So she and played now, the younger role, and now Kristen Stewart's playing the younger role. Well, no. But what happens is, is that they. This guy is mounting this new production, and she want and he wants the older actress to play his older part. And but she's really self conscious. He's like, I don't want to play the older part. This is so ridiculous. And Kristen Stewart's her assistant. Oh. Okay. And but what happens is, so this a, is kind of like all about Eve. Uh, maybe a little bit, but more like think Bergman meets Birdman. Okay. That could be on the poster. All right, I got it's it. Because it's it. about like also the industry. Um, kind of like the, there's a little bit about the reliance on superhero movies to make an easy buck. Um, I think Birdman is, is, a, is a lot deeper, but there's a lot of really tremendous acting in this movie. 
uh, Kristen Stewart is really good here. Really? Like, yeah. Like, you might think from watching the Twilight movies, this woman can't act. Well, that's a super low bar. No, but yeah, but like, in the Twilight movie, she's kind of slumming it. With a movie like Clouds of Sils Maria, there's a lot asked of her in her performance, and she and Juliette Binoche, they have to perform this play through a lot of this movie together as if they're rehearsing it. In a way, it reminded me a little of Mulholland Drive, too. Time. You know, because remember those scenes where... Time. No, but that doesn't Stop have to be that. Damn it! I don't throw things the at time you. Time is up. Uh, this, okay. this old time limit. I curse you! A pox on them! <laughs> uh, Alright, this is my last one. Then you got like a whole marathon to do. Uh, Jack, uh, Jackathon. <laughs> that almost sounded really dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, go! Uh, the last one I watched, The Adventures of Mark Twain. Okay, yeah. I mentioned so this to you. You haven't seen it. I have not. All right, so basically, this is a claymation film directed by Will Vinton. Uh, that the name, The name in claymation in the 1980s. Oh, and yeah. it's all about Mark Twain and his characters, Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn, and Becky Th- Thatcher, going to see Halley's Comet. Now, but that over, over that uh, that is just basically the framing device okay. for a lot of little vignettes based on the on the stories of Mark Twain. Uh, there's a little bit uh, in the they, there's uh, the the jumping frog of Calaveras County, uh, the diary of Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. uh, Captain What's His Face Goes to Heaven, okay. uh, and the mysterious stranger. So in other words, this doesn't really have that much to do with like the adventures of Huck Finn. No, or this is just this is just looking at the work of Mark Twain. Okay, uh, and I'll. Yeah, the frame story is a little lackluster, but the little vignettes are really good, especially Adam and Eve. That that n- narrative comes back a lot. Adam and, and Eve. Yeah, he he wrote a story called The Diary of Adam and, and Eve. Oh, you, okay. You, you, you'll see the movie. You'll get what I talk what I'm talking about. But the best part is the mysterious stranger, which is the creepiest thing ever animated. <laughs> you okay. can see the clip on YouTube. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's sure. one of the best. It's. It's this creepy story uh, about Satan, which is a uh, ton of fun. Uh, claymation classic. Go see it because it's claymation and stuff. You actually have more time if you want to talk the, about it. What's anything. this mean? I was giving you like 30 seconds. Okay, so uh, the claymation looks really good. The thing that impresses me is that like, basically you have to build an entire set in plasticine, which is kind of... And you have to be able to zoom into it, so you have to have mm-hmm. it really detailed. Uh, really great work. Will Vinton, you know, the master of claymation. Uh, great Time. movie. So when you say master of claymation, did he do the raisins? It's probably. Okay. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of strange for me not to know a master. Master chef. All right, so I'm ready to go. All right, how many movies do you have left? I have four. Jesus. Right. I did. Sorry, I was Go. Just talking myself. All right, Warrior. Um, now we talked about Mad Max, and we might talk about it again Tom Hardy. Um, kind of, this is one of his. I'm not gonna say early roles, but this is one of the movies where, hey, this Tom Hardy guy, really good. Um, this we mo- should make him talk funny and wear a mask. Yes. <laughs> this is before that. Warriors is set in the world of MMA fighting. Um, oh, I think I know this movie. Yeah, well, Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton play brothers, and they have been kind of estranged for a while. There's a lot of really 
bad family history also to do with their father, played by Nick Nolte, <laughs> the world's sexiest man. I instantly believe this conflict. <laughs> yes. Well, what happens, I mean, Tom Hardy's kind of been drifting and sort of off on his own for a while, but he comes back. He, he They're sort of trying to be like a forgiveness thing, but with Nick Nolte, we kind of believe he's been a drunk for a while. Um, I believe it. What happens, though, is Joel Edgerton, though, he's more of a family guy. He's a teacher, but he needs money for, like, his house. So he starts kind of moonlighting as an MMA fighter, which gets him kicked out as a teacher, but he decides... <laughs> so unfair. I know. But that, then we really get into the MMA fighting where Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton are kind of coming How's up the in their own ways. Fighting is really good. I... The fighting is shot kind of just like how you see in every other movie. The really the see the movies for the acting. The acting is really more like first Rocky level. Like it's really more about just subtlety, kind of trying to pay attention to character. Nick Nolte is really good in the movie. Actually, yep, yeah, all the acting is really good, and that kind of elevates more above the story. Which if you look at, it, it's kind of basic. We've seen this sort of thing before. We know Except we at have some two point, main characters on opposite sides. We know that the brothers are going to fight at some point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so some really good action. And there's, I think, a wrestling... There's a WWE wrestler in it. Oh, cool. All right. Ready. Next movie. Go. Charade. The Cary Audrey Grant? Hepburn, Cary Grant movie. A non-Hitchcock Hitchcock film. Well, that's what it's been called. It's been called the best Hitchcock movie Hitchcock never made. Is it that? Um... I mean, I can't think of a lot of other Hitchcock, non-Hitchcock movies to compare it to. I don't think it has the same rigorous style. When I watch a Hitchcock movie, I see a lot more of, yeah, he's planned every single thing out, but he's kind of experimenting here and there. This movie is shot a little bit more standard. It comes from Stanley Dodden, who was one of the directors of Singing in the Rain. So he does bring a really good light air to the movie. This movie involves a... Uh, a plot involving uh, war lost World War II money. Um, in a sense, this could be transplanted to a spaghetti western yeah. <laughs> or any other type of thing. Um, you know, Audrey Hepburn, so charming. You know, how can you, you know, you look at her and she's just like a doe. Um, <laughs> Cary Grant is also, you know, you he's what you want to expect. Probably my favorite scene with him, he... Like, takes a shower in front of Audrey Hepburn, but he has his suit on. <laughs> so you just see him, like, talking with her, and he's watching with his suit. That's a really charming scene. There's a lot of really juicy supporting players in this movie. Walter Matthau, uh, George Kennedy, uh, James Coburn. Okay. So it's a kind of, it's interesting, because it's kind of a guy movie, and yet I think you could probably watch it with your date. Or something. Probably James a good Coburn's first date got, movie. James Coburn's going to come back for you in uh, Hudson Hawk. Oh boy. Well, um, <laughs> there's some really funny stuff here. It's not a great film, I didn't think so, but there's a lot of charming stuff. I really like the twists in this movie. I talked about last time about the Sting. How I didn't really buy yeah. the twists in that movie. I actually bought the twists here because it's all about Cary Grant's identity, and there's a lot of great things that happen with that. So go check it out. Time. All right. Uh, All right, two more movies to go. Ready, set, go. Now, you talked about animation, claymation. I watched Mary and Max. What this movie is about, it's, it's set, it starts off in the mid-70s, and you have these two characters, Mary and Max. Mary is the seven-year-old girl in Australia. Max is a guy in his mid-40s in New York City. Oh, yeah. And somehow, I forget how it happens, they kind of have this connection involving an animated show called, like, 
I'm not going to say the tribbles, but it might be the dribbles or the trockles. I don't know what. But she somehow looks up this guy. I forget how, but she writes a letter to him. And he has Asperger's. And uh, he's very neurotic. He doesn't have any friends. He's overweight. But he starts writing to her about just his life. And so she writes about his life, and they become pen pals. Okay. Uh, So what this movie is, it just follows their relationship over the years uh you know a mis- like a misunderstanding happens and they don't talk for a while but then they start up again they're both very kind of outsidery lonely people All like right. mary is kind of she she always looks at herself as like an ugly girl she has a messed up family max has a really weird jewish history um <laughs> very jewish yeah. uh, very new york um there's a lot of really bizarre humor in this movie you talked about the vignettes of Mark Twain. There are a lot of sort of vignettes here because even though you you know it's a no no usually movies with narration, but I but this movie has a lot of narration in it because huh. you don't really see the characters move their mouths much. Well, they don't have anyone to talk to. Well, yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. Yeah, they don't have anyone to talk to, so you're reading, you're hearing their pen, their letters. Right. And there's also a narrator who describes their lives in between. Um, there's also a sadness to the movie. There are a couple of points I kind of teared up. Like, you get very emotional because you get wrapped up in these people. So, you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's one of those kind of movies. Time. A cult, a cult classic. All right. Very nice. We yeah. both We both fit in some uh, stop-motion animation. Yeah. This was one I'd heard about for a while. Oh, and it starts late Philip Seymour Hoffman. Sweet. All right. Next movie. Go. All right. And the last one, which I forgot to talk about last week in tying with our Surrealism episode, is called Daisies. Um, this Who comes made from the this? mid-60s. It actually comes from a woman from the Czech Republic. Um, her name is Vera Chitilova. Okay. Hope I spelled that right. This movie, this is all over the place. Now, what, what the closest thing, this is like an anarch, anarchic, feminist, surrealist, dadist, nihilist, what the fuckest thing. Okay. Um, there's really, uh, maybe this film has a script. I don't know. What's, what's, uh, what's the central image of this film for you? Two girls... They're both named Mary, and they're just wandering about in this world. I guess they're supposed to be the daisies of the title. It's supposed to be kind of this commentary on capitalism, I guess, <laughs> and excess. These girls are not really so much characters as they are just symbols. consumption machine and symbols. They just kind of sit in their apartment at times and just listen to music and just twaddle about. Um, they don't really interact with that many other people. Um, there's one point where this guy just like, I don't care about you. And then they get really sad for a moment and they're like, why didn't that guy pay attention to us? Don't worry about him. Let's go on with our lives. And it's, it's a short movie and yet it's just all over the place. There's a lot of experimental direction here. A lot of bright colors, a lot of random montages. So is it too random for its own good? It is. It is. It's. It's trying too hard. Like I guess it's trying this, to say a lot. It's but... trying to say a lot in seventy-three minutes, and yet the thing is, in a movie like this, you need characters. These these, these are not characters. These two women are. It's like a Czech women's sixties take on Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> the, the, the image I have of this movie are the girls sitting together going. <laughs> that's the image I have. That's not really surrealist. That's just weird. Yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. Time. Oh, man. <sighs> That's the last one. I just played the 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 butterfly. Uh, 
I don't know what you're talking about. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be we'll talk about our list movies. Yes, we welcome you back to the list. <laughs> 